Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to Deeply Discussing Dexter. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hey. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hi. And today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Seeing Red. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, a, a fairly good episode. Everybody, uh, what did you guys think about the episode overall? I thought this was a really strong one. I liked this one. I thought that it had a lot of the puzzle aspect that I think we all kind of hoped for, had some of the gore aspect, and then we got a little story with it. Big fan. Yeah, it's a, it's a good episode towards the end of the season. Um, starts to really ramp up the stakes. I felt like it was uh, a really solid episode all in all. This is my favorite episode of season one. Uh, I've been waiting for us to get to this episode because it... It introduces so much to the story, and, and I think the the images are are about as awesome as you get in season one. Like, just really good imagery. Yeah, and after um, the last episode, which I thought it's a, it's a really strong character-building episode, it was good to get back to um, the actual Ice Truck Killer plotline um, versus the you know, sort of couple's weekend feel of episode nine. Um, but I, I still really like uh, episode nine quite a bit as well, so. Well, we were missing the dance parties in this episode, though. Yeah. Like they had in episode nine. Um, and this is uh, Michael Cuesta back directing. Um, he directed the first three episodes, and he also directs the finale of this season. Um, and so, yeah, um, let's talk through it. Part of this episode is Paul uh, getting back, getting sent back to jail. Um, it starts with Dexter helping the kids getting ready for school. There's a locksmith changing the locks and adding strike plates. Um, Dexter says the police have been called, and he gives Rita a can of pepper spray. And then later, police come to Rita's work and tell her that Paul's pressing charges for assault. She goes to make a statement with the police, so... Uh, Rita calls Dexter, and she's being charged with a Class Two felony assault. She's distraught, potentially losing her job and the kids. Uh, Dexter is too consumed with what else is going on in the episode to talk, really talk to her, but he says he'll uh, he'll call his friend Malcolm Jamal Warner. Um, <laughs> that was a great. I I really like that. I forgot that he was in this, and I was like, man, yeah, that's <laughs> great. I couldn't think of his name, but I was like, oh my god, it's that guy. It's Theo. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, and I think it's a cool surprise that uh, rather than what you expect to happen, which is Rita, you know, sort of having the upper hand now after Paul's attack, the lawyer tells her uh, that uh, the ruse that she used to lead Paul into the bedroom is a strike against her in the story. It's like she was basically luring him into a trap. And she's told not to deny Paul's upcoming visitation to give him more ammunition in court. Later, Dexter's awake and thinking at 2 a.m. next to Rita. She asks if he's awake and if he locked the door properly, so she's worried about him. And uh, then when Paul does show up for his supervised visit, he, like, takes him to the circus. Um... Dexter sneaks into his room to try and prove that Paul deserves uh, to be killed by Dexter, like if he trying to make, uh, make a case for that. And he finds drugs and a gun in Paul's r- room but starts having a panic attack as 
more of be, being locked in the shipping container thing is coming back to him in flashbacks. You know, I think every good dad has at least a gun in their room. I don't know about drugs so much, but you know, <laughs> it's like Paul. You know, he's he's just he's just looking out for himself and the kids. I mean, it is kind of funny t- to think about how the fact he brings it back on Rita, like uh, it's it is a surprising twist, but also at the same time. Um, stuff like this happens. Uh, you know, you do see a lot of shows that really uh, sort of gravitate towards uh, one side of the story. Um, but, like, it's an interesting writing perspective to be like, well, there's also another side. And it, and it actually favors the, the other side where the guy was, you know, attacked or whatever. Even though we know from a viewer's standpoint, Paul is a, a horrible person and, 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 and came in drunk and was trying to hurt her. You know, like, legal, legally, like, man, that's a nightmare. Yeah, and he's he's great at manipulating her um, to get what he wants, and so you know this is another a, another point for him as far as being smart, even though he's an aggressive creep and domestic abuser. Um, but it, it also starts to bend that needle back towards center a little bit because he doesn't realize that he's up against Dexter. He doesn't realize how dangerous that situation is for him. He thinks he has the upper hand because he's always been able to manipulate the upper hand in every situation. He has no clue. Right. This this really just cements that Paul's the worst. Like when he when he comes in and he's got the bandage on his head and he he gets his kids ready and he he tries to suck up to Rita like oh hey you know let's 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 just put this to the side you know we can we can solve this like adults it just made me want to kill him more (laughs) and that really dramatic bandage on his head too that nobody bandages a head like that unless you're like going to court to try to win a case well and you get a very rare fuck you out of uh, Rita for that one too yeah yeah I almost clutched my pearls like how can you say this Rita (laughs) Um, Rita goes to family court. She neglected to tell her lawyer that she broke her custody agreement um, by not letting Paul take the kids in one of the previous episodes. And she hit him with a bat. So he has a case. Um, Paul comes home with the kids. Cody manipulates Rita into letting him tell a bedtime story. Um, And that's when he offers to drop the charges in return for unsupervised visitation. And Rita tells him to fuck off. Um... And then he goes into the kitchen and starts talking smack to Dexter. Now, before we get into uh, what happens to Paul here, did anyone else notice that a bunch of this episode just looks like garbage? Yes. Yes, I noticed that. The lighting is terrible. I don't know what the problem was. Um... There's a thing that happens uh, with all cameras where if something's underlit, it will, uh, if you're shooting on film, it'll put a bunch of like film grain distortion noise around everything. Uh, and if you're shooting digitally, it does kind of the same thing, but it ends up being those like kind of compressed block kind of looks to it. Um, this scene in particular where, where Paul and Dexter are having a conversation is just it looks like trash. It looks like um, somebody shot it on 8mm in a room with a single uh, light bulb. Yeah, I noticed it in a lot of scenes. 
Yeah, especially there were some where the lighting was different from like when the camera was focused. I think it was a Paul and Dexter face off too. Paul would look really gritty, and then it would turn to Dexter, and he'd. He would look fine, then it would go gritty in the same scene. It was very poorly shot. The other place it's really bad is when uh, Rudy shows up to Dexter's apartment, and they're sort of, like, on the threshold of the apartment, and it's dark outside. That looks really bad, too. I noticed it as well. Yep. A lot of the scenes, as they started to play out, and I'm sure that they probably meant this as a point towards the title of the episode... But as that scene with Paul went on, the scene started to take kind of a reddish tint. As Dexter got more and more pissed off, it clearly started to take a, a kind of reddish tint on when Paul was involved. And I don't know if it was just bad lighting or if they did that on purpose or what. It wouldn't surprise me if they did that on purpose. I didn't notice that. I just noticed, like, I was watching everything on blu-ray and most of the episode looked really solid like the rest of the episodes and then there were just a couple of scenes that were just really bad um like i couldn't believe they didn't go and clean them up for the blu-ray bad so um yeah so paul's final line um before he gets smashed is uh if you're that skinny bitch come between me and my kids and then dexter just hauls off and knocks him out with a frying pan so um paul's been hitting the head a lot now um, <laughs> Not hard enough, apparently. <laughs> Dexter hauls Paul into the drug of his car, moves it down the street to make it look like Paul left. And we then see Dexter put Paul into his bed. Dexter says, let's face it, Paul, you've be- been a problem. And uh, the scene cuts, which makes it appear that Dexter killed Paul uh, for a minute or two here. Back at Rita's, the lawyer tells her that Paul did heroin and broke Florida's three strikes law. Um, Turns out that Dexter injected Paul with heroin and called the police on him. Rita's overcome with joy and relief, and uh, Paul is now in jail. Yay! Finally. As much as I love Mark Pellegrino, and I really do, dear God, I wanted him to get his comeuppance so bad. And this episode just paid off in spade. So what's the consensus? How many of us would have preferred him go to jail? Who would have preferred him killed by Dexter, though? That's kind of the question. I would have liked him to be offed. I think for the kid's sake, it's better that he goes back to jail. Because it's like, if he's just killed and gone and just disappears, then like the kids can still think that he'll come back. But if they know he's locked up, then they're like, well, our dad sure is a D-bag. <laughs> True, true. I guess I'm thinking of, yeah, for the kids. I think it makes an interesting wrinkle in uh, in what it leads to where Paul begins to plant kind of seeds of doubt with Rita um, about what happened and that while Paul was a, comp- Paul was a problem, as Dexter said, um, he didn't meet the definition of the code of, of Dexter being able to kill him. So it, it would have been pretty out of place for Dexter to just sort of be like, yeah, yeah, the code, whatever, I'm just going to kill this guy. <laughs> we can dream. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Paul's plot. Um, the rest of this episode is all Ice Truck Killer all the time, um, which starts with 
Deb eating some ten-day-old cake, which Dokes chides her about. She says it's mocha, I think. He says it started out vanilla. Um, an unknown, an unnamed police officer worker shows up with a jar of some kind that's been sent in. Dokes tries to put it down. Dexter looks at it. Uh, it's full of blood with a key inside to the Marina View Hotel. So Dokes and Deb go to sh- go to see what's up, and then. When they open the door, it's like uh, the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. They just open the door, and you just see their faces covered in red light. Uh, We don't get to see the room yet. So uh, Dexter goes in there. It's completely covered in blood. uh, And uh, at first, when he arrives at the scene, he's in a hazmat suit with this great big smile on his face because he can't wait to go in there. But once he goes in there, it sends him reeling into a flashback of uh, being in the shipping container, which is a repressed memory for him. Uh, And he just collapses into the blood face down. Doke says, something finally got to you. I guess you're human after all. And Dexter says he can't go into the room. So uh, Masuka has to do it with Dexter standing in the hall telling him what to do. I thought this was a really good scene uh, because it is the first time you've seen something truly bother Dexter. Um, I I guess you could say that he he was bothered by something back in the uh, psychiatrist episode, but this one was the first time where he was Gosh, I'm not even sure how to explain it. He he was just all out of sorts over this. He was triggered. He got yeah. triggered. And it, it brought an interesting look into his character, because at this point, you've, you've really just thought, uh, you know, nothing ever going to bother this guy. He could just do whatever, and it'd be fine. And so I, I thought that brought an interesting twist. I think never uh, since the blood hallway of The Shining have I enjoyed seeing so much blood in a room. <laughs> it was so much blood. Uh, which is, you know, it's like one of those moments where you're just like, wow, it, it, it's how's that that much blood in there? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was, you know, it's like a fun little thing because, like, I think you as the viewer, you can clearly see there's no bodies. Uh, you know, you you can once they show you the room and like Dexter inside of the room and everything, but just like the pure um, the the pure like uh, emotion that he's overcome with when he just sees this amount of blood is like such an interesting thing that to like trigger him where it's you know because like he's used to blood and you know you don't see any bodies it's it's just like it, it, it all comes crashing down so quickly but yet it's like a really beautiful moment to to see humanity in a monster you know. Uh, and I think that that was like a really awesome scene to see it in because I think that Michael C. Hall just like the way he reacted to it was so great. So it was fun. Yeah, I think the hotel should rebrand that room as the bridal suite and just have a picture of Uma Thurman from Kill Bill on the door because mm-hmm. um, that's about the amount of blood that's going on in there. Yeah. So, so there are a couple questions I have about these scenes. One, does the Miami-Dade Police Department not check their packages 
And she just like opened that up right in the middle of the bullpen. Excuse me, Miami Metro. Sorry, Miami Metro. And they don't do shit. <laughs> they don't do anything <laughs> right. Yeah, they got cake. They got cake to eat. They man. got Come evidence on. locker problems. They got everything's broken at Miami Metro. Then <laughs> second, yeah. Laguerta's in charge there. What do you think true. is happening? That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> she's she's too busy winking at Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> so. There's so much blood in that room. <laughs> You're telling me that, like, did did he put down plastic on the floor before he poured the blood in? Because it's not see- seeping through the ceiling and the floor below. These things bother me. Okay. These are all good questions. I mean, fair. You I got a question. I don't then. think we're going to get anywhere with that <laughs> particular line. Of Again, <laughs> they don't consider science. Yes. Kind of, we have to accept what, there's no yeah. scientific thought in these scenes. I mean, what kind of shoes was he wearing with that much blood? What kind of <laughs> shoes does a man wear where you don't track out blood? I just got to know. Fair. Fair. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, uh, Masuka is describing the blood to Dexter. The blood's not clotting. Dexter asks about a wall socket, and they find one with no blood on it. So, it was there was some kind of a tool plugged in there. Um, back at Miami Metro, Masuka tries to talk Angel into going out for shots. Angel has bought his soon-to-be ex-wife backstage passage passes to a Neil Diamond concert. Sad Angel again. Um, Deb tells Dexter that to get out of Masuka's invite, she told him he had a yeast infection. She had a yeast infection, not Masuka. Um, and Dexter said, well, that's a bit of an overshare. Uh... Deb asked Dexter what happened at the crime scene. She said she'd never seen him like that since Harry died. And Dexter tries to gaslight her, but she brings up that she still doesn't know how he feels about his real dad only living a few minutes away and never talking to him uh, from last episode. Yeah, there that's some stuff that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all it was, very riveting. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting though that like the blood clotting thing, you know. Uh, as a scientific standpoint of the show was interesting, you know, because uh, they uh, he says it's old blood, like it's 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 past the point of clotting or whatever, right? Like yeah. after a certain point. So that's well, scientific. Scientifically, that's something I didn't know. I was like, no, I'm learning something. They from this talked show. about uh, I don't remember the exact drugs. I think heparin was one of them. Uh, but there's heparin a, and coumadin. Yeah, they're they're both like blood thinners, basically, uh, and they keep oh. keep it from clotting. Um, yeah, I agree. I thought that was a cool little thing. So, why do they keep going back to this angel and his ex-wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife? Well, they they just keep going back to it, and it, it serves zero purpose. I think they're trying to establish him as the sympathetic character because there's just really a, not a lot of that consistent sympathetic characterization in the show. I think they're trying to make him the heart of the show. Um, but, yeah, it just makes him kind of sad. Sad angel. Yeah. Empathetic. There's sort of a character triangle between Masuka, Dokes, and Angel that they all mm. fill these different, like, male coworker roles like Dokes is extreme to the point of parody. Masuka is the like creepy, lovable guy, and Angel is the like always doing it for the right, always 
doing the things for the right reasons, but not always doing the right thing because he's a moron at like, <laughs> keeping his marriage together. Yeah, like buying Neil Diamond backstage passes, or or <laughs> buying like X's and O's to put on his wife's necklace. And yeah, the ox. Ox. The ox. Um, so later, Deb is home with Rudy. He asks her about the crime scene. Rudy's interested. Nothing but blood. What about the bodies? He asks how Dexter likes it, and Deb told him that Dexter freaked out. Rudy asks more about Dexter, but Deb is starting to initiate sex and says, let's not talk about Dexter right now. Rudy keeps talking about it. Um, Deb's like, you don't have wood. Rudy said, well, you're the one that wanted to talk, and Deb said, yeah, but not now. I'm horny. Rudy suggests he call Dexter, and Deb's like, you know what, let's just go to sleep. And Rudy says, okay, well, I'm going to go watch TV. Just one, what you want to hear during sexy time is, let me call your brother. I mean, yeah. how is she not finding it super weird how obsessed he is with Dexter at this point? I mean, because it's Deb, I know, but... Yeah. She's a highly trained detective. <laughs> who uses high school terminology. Who says wood? anymore <laughs> Deb Deb does it's like what is she it's like she's not giving handies or something I mean it's such a, <laughs> such a, she speaks in such a manner behind the football field yeah, well, come yeah. On. like just just the scene prior she's like looks at her brother and is like yeast infection boom <laughs> just out of left field like come on uh, man your third little... base is melted <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Oh, poor Deb. She'll she'll get it together one of these days. Yeah. Not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> you keep the faith, brother. <laughs> I've seen the whole show. I'm pretty sure that may not happen. Oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Got a lot to look forward to. Yes. Um. So then, back at Miami Metro, Dexter's showing that there's only one set of footprints unaccounted for in the blood. The ice truck killer drained the blood from all five of his, or from five of his victims. Masuka confirms that the blood came from at least that many people. Doak says that they arrested ice truck killer, but Laguardia says bullshit. Uh, Dexter says that the blood has an anti-clotting drug and a preservative in it. Blood's lower than it appears. Laguardia gives assignments and swears them to keep the ITK connection to themselves. Um, Dokes and Deb go to the crime scene going through the steps. They find a code that leads them to a biblical passage. Uh, Rudy shows up at Dexter's apartment unannounced with steaks and beer. He claims to need Dexter's advice because Deb is mad at him. Rudy asks for a good meat knife and Dexter obliges. Uh, Dexter's advice for Rudy is to say it was his fault. And then Deb calls and forgives Rudy and Rudy said he would meet her at his place but he's about to have dinner with Dexter. And uh, he blows off coming over for the night. So... Rejected yet again, Deb. In favor of Dexter. I mean, that's that's gotta hurt. That's twice. At what point does it get weird? At what point does that start making you uncomfortable? I mean, I think I think it would be weird if he was talking about calling Dexter and he had wood. I think that would be weirder than <laughs> that, that does take point. it next level. Do you really think though that would even yeah. be a deal breaker for Deb? Probably not. Probably. Not. She'd probably or, just have him stay be... on the phone just to keep the wood. <laughs> Or yeah, or if if when she called to to forgive him, he's like, "I'm sorry, I can't leave Dexter's right now. I have an erection. I can't stand up." <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Still probably wouldn't have done it. Probably still wouldn't have worked for Neb. Still would have stayed. Oh, man. Uh, so, Rudy offers to help Dexter with his repressed memories. He tells Dexter that he watched his mom get hit by a truck and killed when he was four, but he had repressed the memory for many years. Uh, Dexter tells Rudy to try white roses on Deb. Rudy leaves his cell phone at Dexter's. Matthews comes to talk to LaGuardia about the bloody room. She's coy with the information and tells him to consider letting uh, Neil Perry go. Uh, Matthews says the first break in the case, you come straight to me. Angel talks to Masuka about the hooker with the painted nails. He asks Masuka about amputee fetishes. Masuka says, I prefer a a girl with a kung fu grip. Masuka suggests that Angel talk to Rudy about it. So Rudy shows up at Dexter's blood spatter room to get his phone back. He suggests that the blood spatter could be from an electric chainsaw, just like helping him along. Uh, Dokes is still pushing people to find more significance about the 103 number that they found in the room. Deb's angering comes to Dexter to confirm about hanging out with Rudy instead of talking to her. Uh, she says, you keep spend your life keeping me at a distance. You're all the family I have and I barely know you. And Dexter just says, I'm late for Rita's deposition. There's this wacky overhead shot of the building to tell us that Angel is visiting Rudy. Uh, he comes in and asks questions. Rudy closes the door and grabs a giant blade to attack him. But when Angel asks about people with amputation fetishes, Rudy relaxes and says, Hey, how often does someone get a chance to help catch a bad guy, huh? And uh, Rudy tosses Angel's card into a drawer that has five different kinds of nail polish in it. So uh, that is... That is Angel getting himself into trouble there. Um, At least Sad Batista is a good detective. I mean, relatively. Yeah. When he's not, like, pining for his Neil Diamond tickets. So. Oh, he still was. Yeah. He still was. You know he was just like, man, I'm sitting here talking about amputee fetishes, and I'd rather be listening to Neil Diamond. You gotta balance La Passion with La Work. True. I do want to say, I mean, Angel is a good detective. We've established he's actually pretty good at his job. Yeah. To me, I would think at that point you're talking, oh, these people with the amputee fetishes. Wait, Deb, who is on our team and working the ice truck killers, dating a guy who works in prosthetics, you would think some kind of alarm would go off. That kind of, I just feel like that's kind of... There's not that many prosthetic experts just hanging around, you know? I Yeah, I also think that, like, this is the probably the first, like, uh, actual relationship that Deb's probably been in since she's met Angel. So I don't know how seriously he takes the fact that she happens to be dating this guy because um, those things seem to not last very long for her. See, and I think that would make it even more suspicious. This guy is actually really interested in Deb, so something's up. <laughs> but yeah, he hasn't seen it firsthand, I guess, is the thing. Like, he's hearing it from Asuka. Um, Dokes has seen them together because they basically met in the uh, hospital room with uh, Tucci. So Dokes was there for that. This is all directly preceded by them being out at that club and <laughs> Sad Batista trying we'll to talk to We'll get to, to that. <laughs> it's just, we're, we're talking about Sad Batista. I figured I'd just jump right into it. 
Yeah, the ice truck killer isn't the most important part of the episode. It's sad Batista. Sad Batista Always. for performance of the episode. <laughs> um, Always. <yeah. laughs> oh, I was going to say, I want to know why Dex says white roses instead of red roses. Isn't the whole... I mean, I get the significance of what white and red and the colors of roses mean, but like the show, this episode is about seeing red. So it's like an interesting... This is just a small detail. Uh, uh, but like, you know, she says white roses and it's like... That's a, you know, he loves blood and she loves white roses. What, you know, they're clearly not family. But then later she's like, you're my closest thing I have to family. And it's like, you guys don't even like the same colors. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Wait, deal breaker. You can't be family. <laughs> this ends everything for me. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving is real rough at my house because yeah. we don't agree what colors. I'm not going to uh, home, Ma. Summer team purple. <laughs> no, it just it was just funny, though, that he says white roses. And it's like, yeah, this episode's all about red. Oh, yeah, okay, it, white roses. It's... Uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know that there's like any precedent in the show for why that is, or if it's just another example of Dexter not knowing at all what Deb would really like or not really understanding. But correct me if I'm wrong. I think white roses, I don't really know this, but I think white roses stand for asking for forgiveness. I, believe, I think yeah. that's what they symbolize, yeah, you're right? right? I don't know. I don't know my flower stuff, but I, I, think I believe that's you're thing. right. That white roses are an apology, and red roses yeah. are more like Ugh. romance, sh- Valentine's Day, that kind of thing. Yeah, because see, I've been showing up with like rainbow colored roses just so I cover <laughs> all the bases. Does that work? Because I I don't think that's going to work, especially if you're buying them from a gas station. That might be why it doesn't work. I just bring two bags, one with pollen, one with bees in it, and I just throw it at her. <laughs> yeah. Now that should work perfectly fine yeah. that should work immediately once the anaphylaxis sets in i'm i'm good do <laughs> <laughs> uh, you like a benadryl with that um so laguerta calls a press conference and says the guy's truck killer still at large matthew shows up furious he calls her just another spick detective oh whoa he's down 2018 <laughs> dale that's what, that's what he says <laughs> Uh, Angels well, unloading. Wasn't 2018 then? Yeah. <laughs> Angels unloading. Gro- well, yeah. She just says something back to him like, "Nice, Tom." Uh, Angels unloading groceries in a parking lot. Man dressed in a black stocking mask stabs him, but Angel manages to push him off long enough to chase the guy. Uh, Dokes asks Deb how things are going with Rudy. Invites her out with Masuka. Rudy shows up with the white roses. Deb's not having it until Rudy says he loves her. He kisses her, and she says she loves him, too. Rudy has a sore lip from where Angel bashed him. Deb says she'll take him home to take care of it. And then uh, Dexter goes back to the bloody room crime scene to find out what the message is. His mom is shown in more detail in the flashback, begging him not to dismember and kill her in front of Dexter. And then he just lays on the bloody floor, traumatized, and his mom's voice keeps repeating, Mommy loves you, Dexter. So we have finally achieved stabbed Batista. We can talk about the section I just talked about. I <laughs> <laughs> am. Oh, yeah. He stabbed Batista. Oh, okay. Batista. Stabbed so Batista as opposed to sad Batista. There you gotcha. go. Yeah. See what you did there. If you, you prick me, welcome. do I not bleed? <laughs> now, um. Yeah, like. What is it with the cops of Miami Metro getting attacked in garages? 
Yeah. Like, Dokes was attacked in a garage. Now Batista's attacked in a garage. Don't park in the garage, fellas. That's, that's why everyone at Miami Red Metro runs down the road so fast. Like, <laughs> that's why Dokes never stops moving once he leaves the office. He's just <laughs> taking off. Full run. The, uh, the like, whole uh, political game that is being played between LaGuerta and and Matthews, I think, is, like, a, a pretty telling uh, a truth to a lot of, like, uh, police forces to some degree. Maybe not so harsh. I mean, the, although I gotta say, I mean, I've been around some police officers, and, like, they use some pretty graphic language. Like, I thought, you know, like, certain movies were bad, but, like, there are police officers that are just consistently using language, so you're just like, wow. Um, but, like, this political stance that they take, is like, it's, it's pretty telling, because it is. It's a, it's a game of politics as well as a game of safety and, and a game of, uh, you know, uh, they're doing the right thing. And so, like, there's all this stuff that's ha- happening. So I guess what I'm saying is I applaud the show for st- still continuing to take that road, because yeah. I think it's important for the show in the essence of what's happening with all of the people in the department. Well, and, and Captain Matthews has to be a very busy racist, right? Because if he's yeah. racist against Cubans in Miami, holy crap, is he got a lot of people to be mad about. Yeah, for sure. It's a, and you're right, Dale. That's something interesting, too, is they cast like a, a, a Caucasian... Uh, male to be the captain in this case uh, in a community that is largely Hispanic. You know, it's like yeah, uh, well, and all the upper brass is white. Like we see him in that other scene where we thought he was going to be in trouble for something or another, and they just all walk out, and mm-hmm. everybody's fi- everybody's fine with him because you know the old white guys in the police force take care of each other. Yeah, it's a real dick and balls club. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I'm just trying to use some that's, police lingo. That's what it's called. <laughs> Dick and balls, club. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, I was also going to say, too, uh, Dokes is sort of interest in... Um, Deb has become more interesting, too, right? Like, their partnership, their friendship, even has become more uh, close and uh, it's like a, especially with the way he feels about Dexter too but like he feels one way about Deb he feels the other way about Dexter but like he you know I feel like there's not necessarily sexual tension maybe quite yet but there is that like I feel like there's there's a building up of something going on there yeah I think she's winning him over over time mm-hmm. right because she starts in a very naive place and um, there's the the interviewing Tucci episode where she makes a uh, what sounds like a bad idea at first that Dokes ends up adopting and like asking him to um, pretend that he's back you know in trauma and talk about the killer some more kind of thing so yeah I think I think they're they're starting to respect each other I mean Dokes is never going to be um, efficacious with praise or anything like that the kind of thing that like Deb so wants like from him um, the best thing he could do for her is tell her that she's doing a good job and she would love that but he'll never he'll never really say that you know 
he just won't like curse at her quite as hard. <laughs> so he'll yeah. give her he'll give her a warning before he jumps out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here I come. Surprise. Um so now we can get into uh the sad angel plot, which is not not very long, but it's it's still there. Um Masuka has taken Angel to the club where he's talking about his estranged wife to a very disinterested woman. Angel says, Nina loved Neil Diamond, Song Song Blue, Kentucky Woman. You gotta love that shit. The girl walks away. Uh, I can't imagine why she would walk away from that. <laughs> and, and the outfit that he's wearing is just terrible. I just Great like- outfit, talking Neil Diamond and talking <laughs> about your ex. That's the trifecta right there. Yeah. So good. When he when he started naming songs, that's when I lost my composure and started laughing. <laughs> I just became so much more interested when he started that. Like I would date that guy. Song song blue. <laughs> you gotta love that shit. I feel um, like he says it in his sad angel voice yeah. too. Yeah, but I feel like he just knows the titles. Like he doesn't know any of the words. He's like he's just, he's just in it enough to know the titles. Yeah, he's like, a terrible can... husband. Yeah! <laughs> he's just remembering things that he's, like, supposed to say back to his wife. It's just regurgitated information that he's stored at yeah. this point. It's like, come on, dude. Sing, sing, a, sing a line of Kentucky Woman for me. You can't. Yeah. He's just <laughs> <can't>. like... <laughs> he's seen Neil Diamond in a Spotify playlist once, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Masuka tells him that's the fourth chick you've driven off. And uh, Masuka's girl says, I need to take a squirt. Masuka mm. kisses her and slaps her on the butt and Classic tells Angel, lady. you're going to fuck me, silly. Or she's going to... She just took a big turn. Dill watched a different version of this. <laughs> I guess I forgot the part where Masuka and Angel hooked up. I didn't didn't remember that twist. I watched um, That's Not Dexter Triple X. <laughs> I really screwed up. No, Masuka says she's going to fuck me silly, which uh, shouldn't take much. I think he's pretty pretty close to there already. Um, Sad Angel takes his ring off as he approaches another woman, herself a recent divorcee. She leads him onto the dance floor, and then Angel sees a prosthetic hand on a woman who has the nails painted just like the ice truck victim. It is not Shonda. Uh, I thought earlier in the season that it might be the same person, but it's not. It's another hooker, and she says she's not a hooker anymore. And she said that a year or so ago, a guy she uh, tricked with painted the nails that way, and she liked it, so she kept it. I love this scene, because, like, Batista's, he seems like, oh, wow, you just met this really nice lady, and then he's like, hooker, and just pushes her out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, even though... And interrupted a really good, terrible dancing scene, too. (laughs) Yeah, always getting a good dancing scene. Uh, I like seeing them in this environment. I, I even though it's gross and the Masuka stuff is gross, um, and some of the, and the people that Eve associates himself with, self with, it's like gross and whatever. But it's uh, I think it's uh, it also helps us in terms of like the character development to see these guys doing these things. As sad as Batista is, and as gross as Masuka is, it's like. Oh yeah, they're a part of this show too. They, if they're gonna be here, let's give them something, right? Even if we're gonna double down on it, 
let's let's double down on it because yeah we we need it you know otherwise they're just these filler characters that we don't care about but, but I still don't care about Masuka for the record <laughs> I probably won't I love ever. that uh, they're so efficient with showing you that this girl that Masuka's hooking up with is just as bad as he is she gets one line and that one line you just know like oh yeah she's totally screwed up she's perfect for him <laughs> Like, him slapping her on the ass is totally warranted. She's into that. It's all good. <laughs> what kills yeah. me about this is Batista's so, so sad in this scene and so pathetic that him getting stabbed later in the episode is actually an upward trend. Like, oh, I agree. His day is getting better. But when he takes his ring off, it's extremely dramatic and just so over the top. Like, I thought he was just going to drop down in the fetal position in, in the bar. Yeah. I thought he was going to take the uh, the, amputa- the uh, prosthetic arm off and just, like, run to Miami Metro with it. That would have been wonderful. <laughs> just like I have to commandeer this and just take do a dokes run yeah just dokes run all the way back yeah um, it's it's funny I, I I enjoyed those scenes so um, yeah that's pretty much it um, Michael Quest again directing uh, he did the first three he does the finale episode and Kevin Maynard uh, was the writer on this one. Uh, he worked uh, as a producer on shows like E's 101 Most Starlicious Makeovers. This is uh, the ep- he wrote this episode of Dexter, but he's also a staff writer or on prior episodes like Love American Style, Shrink Rap, and Father Knows Best. And after this, uh, continued to work mainly as a producer on Dress My Nest, Addicted to Beauty, and Jessica Simpson, The Price of Beauty. So uh, a very storied career for Kevin Maynard there. That just doesn't seem to add up. Like yeah. being a being a writer of this ep- this particular episode, and then looking at all of his post credits, I'm just like, what is? What? How did this dude who wrote this like pretty good episode of Dexter in his first season end up with these like shows that I've maybe heard of and probably never attempted to watch? I'm not. I, I know there's a, a market out there for it, but like, hey, Starlicious was excellent. I okay. actually I never say, heard of I it. Say, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. It just sounds like yeah. it would be great. <laughs> I want to say producing is. Pro- I, I think once you get kind of into producing in general. That that's an easier gig to land than as a writer on a television show. Yeah, that's true. There's more producers out there than there are writers. And I'm sure yeah. Jessica Simpson, The Price of Beauty, is pretty similar in tone. It ran for <laughs> half an episode in 2016. Yeah. Um, there were blood spattered walls in that show, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Total, a room covered in blood. And Jessica just lays down and just <laughs> rolls around in it, and then so you they come in to make over. It's actually the live audience killing themselves. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, the blood of a thousand puppies. <laughs> I've got a menopause joke, but it's inappropriate. So um, <laughs> it's 2018, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> keep talking about Jessica Simpson and blood and there's only one way for me to go um, well, that's fine in the episode what do you guys think 
Uh, my best line was, it's your wet dream in there, from Dokes to Dex yeah. when he's talking about the blood. Same. That's a good one. That was mine, too. My favorite line is actually when they find the blood, uh, Dokes yells at him to get his ass over here, and he says, ass in route. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I that just, was good. <laughs> that just made me laugh really hard. Uh, worst <gasps> line of the episode. I gotta go squirt. Yep. Female Masuka all the way on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Right right next to that is she's gonna fuck me silly. Yeah. So yeah, both both of those lines back to back combined worst lines. Yeah. Like I said, just perfectly encapsulates Masuka's relationships. Like, who's the most screwed up girl in this bar? Oh there she is. (laughs) She found her. (laughs) You are so the last person in here. <laughs> I'm so happy to have found you. Uh, performance of the episode. Who uh, who do we think was great in this one? I'm, I'm going to go with Michael C. Hall. It's hard not to. Yeah, I mean, he killed his, it this episode. His reaction. Yeah, he, he he killed it, but didn't kill anybody. Which was you know, or we don't know. I guess we presume Paul is dead, but sorry, uh, we did for a minute. Nonetheless, it's revealed later. Oh right, right, right. Uh, yeah, but no, his reaction in the blood room was was top notch I kind of went with Dokes on this one not necessarily because it was the performance of the episode but this was a really good Dokes episode he had so many good lines that I I know that's not really a performance thing but I had to give him the edge for that yeah I, I thought uh, I thought Rudy's really good in this one his his handling of juggling the way he's talking with Deb, the, the scene with him and Deb especially, I think is is great because he's juggling the fact that he's the ice truck killer. He's trying to put on um, a good face in front of Deb, and he's also can't help himself but ask questions about Dexter and be completely fixated on Dexter and not get wood. And, well, and espe- yeah, especially now that they've spent time together. You know, they actually yeah. met in the last episode and, and spent the weekend together. Yeah, not getting wood is actually harder than it than it sounds. So you want to <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> that that's a performance on its own right there. So saying. That's 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 difficult. <laughs> I you cannot got de- relate to any of this. Yeah, dead on top of you. Yeah. Wait till you're 40, my friend. Uh, things change. That's <laughs> <laughs> not the same as when you're 17. Um, yeah, I'll grow up someday. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree uh, with with Zach. It's it's hard not to give Michael C. Hall the edge here because he just does such an amazing job at the beginning of this episode. Uh, it sets the tone for everything else that happens. That is it. That is uh, our episode for Season 1, Episode 10, Seeing Red. Uh, thanks, you guys, for helping me out with uh, running down the episode, and thanks, everybody, for listening out there. We'll see you again next time on Deep Blue Discussing Dexter. Dexter.